This is the Course of Action Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Clark. My debut book, Hear These Truths, The Ultimate Guide to Building Your Leadership Algorithm, is available now wherever books are sold. Check it out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and for signed copies, go to jeffclarkofficial.com and get in touch. Don't forget to follow on social media, leave a five-star review for the book, and hit that subscribe button for the latest episode notifications. And as always, enjoy the episode. All right, here we go. Uh, my guest today is the president of Rusk Industries, an entrepreneur and the author of Blue Collar Cash, Ken Rusk. Sir, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, of course. Yeah. So let's just jump right into it. And um, let's talk about you. Who are you? When, how was your upbringing? And where did you get kind of where you're at right now? Well, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a long story, but it's, a, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where I had a pretty normal childhood. My father, I, you know, I had four brothers and we all lived in a very small house. My, my mother was a very loving mom. My father was a hardcore Marine and pretty good disciplinarian. So, okay. you know, I get a little bit of the perfectionism from him <laughs> and learning the hard way most of the time. But um, yeah, I, I just, you know, I started working a lot of different jobs when I was young and um, I probably had 10 jobs before I was 18 years old, all, all small part-time jobs. And I just love the fact that I could control my, you know, my income and I could control my efforts and I could control the things that I acquired from that income and my efforts. So yeah, I, I started um, my first, you know, serious job. I was a ditch digger when I was 15 and I hate to say that, but I'm still doing that today, although in different forms, but um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I started a company with six people in back in the eighties and now we have 200 and it's been a hell of a ride. So, because at one point in time, you were in the business of, and correct me if I'm wrong, I read it out of the book, um, basically sealing, you know, foundations for like buildings and houses working for a company like that, right? Yeah. So that's where the ditch digging comes from because you basically dig a lot of ditches when you do that work. And, uh, you know, it, it, you're, it's a good thing because you're, you're taking a house that could potentially fall down because the basement is all old and rotted and moldy and wet. And, you turn it into a very healthy living space that that families can use. And so there was some real intrinsic benefits to doing what we did. Um, in addition to the money that we made, it was it was a, a very nice way to help people get more out of their house, especially, you know, in, in these days when people are trying to get everything they can out of their dollars. So that was a really, really great experience for me. And it taught me a lot um, and, and got me kind of to where I am today. And now you have Rusk Industries, which is a big corporation um, that is involved in all kinds of different construction. Um, you went from, you know, a company of six people to now how many do you have? Uh, yeah, we have nearly 200 now. So it's uh, it's it's quite quite the enterprise at this point. And um, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, we, we, we get involved in a lot of different things. You know, we we build houses and we build office buildings and we we're in construction chemicals and we're in um, the foundation company. And we've got two divisions of that. And, and uh, it's, 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 it really, it really keeps you hopping, but you know, I'm a people person. I love to get involved in what people are doing for themselves and for their futures. And so it's been a great place for me to hang out and, and make a lot of those things happen. So for those listening and watching, Ken is the author of blue collar cash. You can see it over my 
right shoulder here. Um, it's got a fantastic cover. I love the cover blue with the gold. It just kind of pops. I really love it. But um, you drop a lot of knowledge in this. And I was just I was just burning through pages this last week, uh, trying to read as much of it as I could before, uh, you know, we did this interview. But um, man, you dropped a lot of really good stuff. But let me ask this before we really get in, in into the depths of it. Um, what is the beauty of a blue collar life? You know, that's really easy. You know, it's all about control. And and let me just break that down a little bit. So when you're working with your hands, okay, you, you get to control your input. You get to control your output and the level of that. You get to control the, your work and the quality of your work. You get to control your creativity, your speed. You get to control your day, your schedules. And ultimately, you get to control your own your own financial gain. So, you know, you can't, you know, and in addition to you get that stand back moment where you get to admire what you've done and, you know, you've done something from A to Z and that's going to stand the test of time. Like, let's say you built, I don't know, a, a stone gate for someone in front of their house. I mean, that'll be there a hundred years. So, but the thing about the, the control aspect of it is I just don't think you get that same thing by working on the 15th floor in some cubicle mm -hmm. where you're part of a big, you know, a very small cog in a very big wheel and you don't get to see the A to Z of your efforts. So and I know people are working on culture to change that, but I think blue collar work is intrinsically valuable just for that reason alone. You, you get to control. Now, again, there's a lot of responsibility with that because you can't just, you know, sleep there, in. Until there's 10 no corporate to blame. Yeah. <laughs> you can't sleep until 10 o'clock on a Monday, but, but certainly most people that I know, and I know a lot of them that have their own blue collar businesses are some of the happiest people that I know. Well, in blue collar, let's uh, blue collar entrepreneurs almost because that is seems to be the path. And I know the pandemic really kind of forced people to either figure it out or, you know, go broke, basically. But I think now today in today's world we have a lot more entrepreneurs we have access to technology you can you can print t-shirts on demand and make a living off and you know printing off t-shirts and doing inventory out of your garage like there's a lot of ways if you're willing to get your hands dirty and get and get busy you can make some good money and completely control everything whereas to when i grew up you know i was born in the early 80s but i remember blue collar as you know people who went out they worked the nine to five, they worked whatever they had to, or they worked the night shift and they worked for company X, you know, and um, going out on your own was not as common as it is today. How have you kind of seen the market and the industry kind of change over all your years of, you know, working in blue collar and growing? How have you seen things kind of grow and change with you? That is a really great question. So when, when, we, when we started doing this company in 86, I mean, we literally had those long graph papers with pencils and that's how we kept our notes and our counting and our sales figures. And, you know, we did it the old fashioned way with erasers and calculators and all that. Stuff. <laughs> I mean, <Chalkboard>. now, <laughs> you know, yeah. Now you could literally open up a business with one of these things. Okay. Yeah. Right on your phone and, and a pickup truck or a van. And um, I guess what I'm saying is the barrier to entry to running your own company has never been smaller. I mean, it, it's, it's so easy. You can do peril on your phone. You can do accounting on your phone. You can do billing. You can do all that stuff, hiring, whatever. And so, you know, 
that takes a lot of that acquired entrepreneurial skill off the table because it's in your hands now. Mm-hmm. You know, doing payroll was a four hour task with two or three people and, and a bunch of calculators years ago. Now, you know, you one click and it's you send it off and, you know, everything's reported, your taxes are done and everything. So, yeah, the barriers are a lot, lot easier to get into. And and that's the thing that's really crazy about this, because we've gotten this weird shift where, you know, b- between parents, teachers and colleges, they've kind of led you to believe that it's college or else. OK, there's no other path. Mm-hmm. And that's opening a lot of doors for someone willing to, again, work with their hands because, you know, supply and demand is an irrefutable force. Okay. You can't beat it. And, um, where supply is low and demand is high, that's where the money goes. And guess what? You know, if you're willing to go out there and, and, and you know, do something for yourself, you're going to be, um, very well off, uh, financially for doing so. So let's talk about college uh, for a minute while we're on that subject. Um, I think it's really important because I want people to go out and read this book because I read it over this last week. Uh, incredible drops of knowledge at almost every single page. And um, this is not an anti-college book. This is not a pro-college book. This is a pro getting your hands dirty, getting involved, controlling your life type of book and um something ken makes very very clear in there is that there is not it's not that college is bad it's that there is a gap Uh, and i'll let him kind of tell me in his own words but there's a gap between what is collegiately acquired learning and the skills needed in modern businesses today and um you can put that into your own words but i think it's an important point to make yeah so so I'll I'll try to do this as quickly as I can. So back in the early 80s, they got rid of shop class out of high schools and they filled those rooms with computers. Okay, so we need to learn computers. I get that. But why was it one versus the other? Why why couldn't we have had both? And the reason I say that is because taking shop class out of high school, you just eliminated the accidental discovery of plumbing, carpentry, electrician, you know, um, home economics, mechanics welding, you eliminated that from even being a possibility in some young person's future, right? They're walking down the hallway, they look in the in the carpentry room and they go, wow, those guys are building furniture. That's kind of cool. I'd like to try that. Well, I don't get that option anymore in high school. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's college or else. So now if you think about the American populace, there's 167 million people that they consider full employment in the US today. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 77 million, give or take, and I added these all up, uh, 77 million people in the country today are doing something with their hands. So literally half the country is doing something to support infrastructure or to help help each other out to keep this thing rolling, keep the planet spinning. And yet we're trying to shove 100% of our future kids into college. It's not a sustainable thing. So yeah, I'm not anti-college. In fact, if you're going to operate on my shoulders so I can get back out on the golf course, I want you to know all there is to know before you pick up a knife. Okay. <laughs> yep. 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 If you're going to engineer a building or you're going to teach somebody something, or if you're going to, um, you know, manage somebody's money. Yeah. I want you to know all there is to know, but those, those are different because those are job specific degrees. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that I have an issue with is 
you know, all these kids that are going into, into, into college because their parents have been convinced by the teachers, have con been convinced by the counselors and the colleges that that's your only path to success. And that's just crazy talk. I mean, there, it, it, the more that that happens, the better off the blue collar workers are going to be because their numbers are going to continue to shrink. And again, that's where the money's going to flow. So I'm not anti-college. I'm just anti-college is for everybody. And I think, um, to your point, we've become such a technology based, um, culture that you can literally run a business off your phone. Like I downloaded my, I'm making a little store for my website so I can sell some t-shirts and some mugs, just some, you know, a little, another little revenue stream. Sure. And I, I downloaded an app on my phone. Once I have it all set up on my computer, I can manage it off my phone and, you know, and I have a master's degree. I, I work a nine to five, you know, but None of that taught me how to build the store. I did that all on my own. Right. And I think the beauty of that is, is that, you know, yeah, college is great. The, the degree is great. It, it, it qualifies you for a lot of jobs. But like you said, almost in a way, we've become dependent upon that saying in order to get a well-paying job, you have to have a degree. Well, I know tons of people that work, you know, that, granted, sometimes they work longer hours than I do, um, but they got great paying jobs. I mean, I knew I graduated with friends in, in high school that went to, you know, a vocational school in the last year of high school. And immediately upon graduation, they went out and bought a hundred thousand dollar pickup and $50,000 worth of welding equipment. And they started making $20,000 a month doing welding jobs immediately at 19 years old, you know? So, um, that is a skill. That is a trade that we need a lot of. And, you know, um, I needed someone, I needed a plumber. When we first moved into this house, um, the main water line broke right under the slab, like a foot underneath the slab. I was like, oh my gosh, I had to have somebody come in and cut up my slab, put a new water line in and get that all fixed. That, that was a couple thousand dollars. And I, and I called around, I think I called like the seventh or eighth plumber. I finally got a hold of, they were like, yeah, we'll be out in a little bit, but it took, I mean, I don't live in a big city. I live, we only have about 50,000 people here, but I, I had to call around. It was in demand. They were busy, you know, so the, there's skills out there. Well, yeah, normally in, in a normal world, if you called like if you called my office, we've we've grown to the point where we can see you the same day. But the point is, is that's how it's kind of supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Someone should be able to see you within two or three days, no matter what you have going on. And if it's an emergency, they should be able to see you the same day. So for you to have to make seven or eight calls, just kind of proves my point. Yeah. For you to have to go searching that deep. <laughs> I mean, you probably, you, you probably would liken that more to if I need to find a neuroscientist, it would take me seven or eight calls. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Something that is, is very rare and, and nobody knows what it even is. So, um, yeah, it, it, the, the, the trades are such an amazing access point for anybody. And, you know, some people, they tend to learn with their hands anyway. They don't tend to learn by, you know, being lectured to or going to classes or being on a computer. And, you know, they call that learning being tactile in your learning. And, and, you know, all of us are different and all of us have these skill sets. And what what bothers me is all these kids that are like, you know, I really want to be a carpenter, but I'm in this college prep high school. When did the word college prep start to apply to every high school in the country? Okay. So now I'm in this college prep school and all my buddies are in this college prep mindset. So their parents talk about college prep. 
So I'm not thinking about college prep. Is there something less for me? Is there something wrong with me? Am I, am I astigmatized in some way? That's what really bothers me the most because man, I've got carpenter buddies and electrician buddies that are making more than doctors, lawyers, dentists. I mean, they're making a killing. And those same people may not have taken that path today that they did back then. And so that's what really, that's what really makes me concerned is, you know, you got some bright young gal or bright young guy um, who want to start their own bakery or they want to start their own whatever business and they're kind of being shunned a little bit. And I, I think that's something we need to change. Well, I tell you what, every time I have somebody come over to my house to work on something and then I get the bill and then I realize how long they were here and what all they had to do, I always shake my head and go, I chose the wrong path. I absolutely <laughs> chose the wrong path. I hear had that a, a lot. <laughs> I had an electrician come over. He put a new GFCI outlet in my kitchen where an existing outlet was. It just went out. He put two guys came over. They put it in $150 later, 10 minutes. Yeah. And I was like, I just looked at my wife and I was like, I am in the wrong profession. <laughs> you know, it's funny because <laughs> even, even my publisher said, you know, I had, I was very lucky because the, the book blue collar cash came out and I had some different, I had seven different publishers bidding for it, which I was blown away by. I was just yeah, that's awesome. mind blown. And um, one of the reasons that the publisher that got it said they did is because all the guys, all the people that they knew in their neighborhood, all the families that they knew in their neighborhood that were the most successful were all blue collar people. Okay. In one thing or another. And she said, here I am, you know, I have this degree. I spent all this money and I'm still paying it down. And all these people that are, you know, out, out doing these trades jobs are making a hell of a lot more money than I am. And she says, it's kind of aggravating, but, um, but yeah, I, I've heard that a lot. So, uh, and, and again, I, I, you know, I hate to say this, but it's good for them. Yeah. It's only going to get worse. I mean, it's only going to get better for them and worse for the rest of us because, for every 10 electricians right now, whose average age is 52 to 55 that are retiring, um, there's only five coming online behind them. So mm. this is going to happen. And that's true for most trades. So this is going to continue to be a big problem until that pendulum is forced to swing back the other way, which who knows if it will. Um, but um, it'll be an interesting thing to see. So I want to get into the book here, but I got one question to ask you. What is it like kind of doing um, the business that you're in, a lot of construction in an economy that kind of came off of a pandemic? You know, there were spaces in the country where uh, eight foot two by four was $10, $12, $15. does um, that do to you trying to that pendulum swing of such an inflation? Well, obviously, you know, for me, I, I was, you know, it, it was a weird thing for me because I saw some of these companies like gas companies and freight companies doubling their costs and tripling their costs. And I thought, wait a minute, the average guy who's making pizzas can't triple the cost of his pizza. Mm -hmm. So he has to eat that. And, and I was the same way. So I absorbed as much of it as I could. Um, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't even think to put a fuel service charge on because that would have been so much money added to my job. You know, it would have been crazy. So, yeah, we kind of we kind of waddled our way through it and and we tightened our belt wherever we could. But um, the good news for us is we were in a business, especially the foundation business, where we were we were actually improving the indoor air quality of of, of homes. 
for people. So we were making their homes healthier. So we had a huge influx in business on that side because of the pandemic. And so that kind of boosted us a little bit. And, um, you know, we're making our way through it and things are good. So Blue Collar Cash, the book. Let's get into that. Um, again, awesome cover. Um, I love the premise of it. It just kind of catches your eye. Um, I think it's awesome. But you dropped something in there. You dropped a couple of things in there. I don't want to give away everything because I want people to go buy it. You have to go buy this if you're listening. Um, it's an awesome book. But we're going to talk about a couple of things. And one of the quotes you said in there was, opportunity lies in the places where demand is the highest. And we have a crisis amongst us. What do you see about the current workforce? I think we kind of touched on it. That makes you believe it's an actual crisis, though. Well, it's it's simple. When I was a kid, uh, I had five, four brothers, and and our parents said, "Get out of the house and go do something." Okay, so we went out and we found pieces of wood, and we found hammer and nails, and we went out and built tree forts or. We were always crafting or building or doing something because that's what we did. I mean, we built ramps for our bicycles to jump off of. I mean, all that kind of stuff. Yep, yep. I well, did that too. Well, well, now, again, to point to this necessary evil, kids are building cities on Minecraft on this thing yep. while they're sitting on the couch. So that's no slam to Minecraft. It's a fun tool. But it's not the same experience. So if if you have if you have this um, on-demand kind of information age where the service aspect of that is non-existent. I mean, most kids don't know how to use a shovel, how to use a rake, how to use, you know, a hammer. They, they don't know how to do these things until way later in life when they're forced to know. So that creates a softened future for kids or, you know, who the work, the workers that we're going to require to come right into the workforce and do things like bridges and roads and build houses and do all those kinds of things. So I, I just see that, you know, I, I call it like the perfect storm. Okay. You, you take shop class out of high school that eliminated millions of kids from going into the trades, millions. You have these kids that are building things with Minecraft on uh, electronically and then you have this, this, this college push and college marketers are amazingly effective at making you feel shame if you don't go to college. And um, those three forces kind of combine to really gobble up all the available future and kind of vortex them into their system and not into the systems that we're in. And so it's, it is a crisis. I mean, if I drive from here to the freeway and that's only two miles there's a hundred help wanted signs i mean it used to be occasionally you'd put an ad in the paper and you'd have 15 people in your foyer it's not the same anymore so it, it i i believe it is a crisis and again whenever i talk to parents groups of parents and they go wait whoa 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 wait a plumber can make 200 grand a year are you kidding me mm. you know whenever I, I i i talk to them about that they're like well why didn't anybody tell me that? Like, why am I just hearing this now after I put my kid who I didn't think was college ready through $80,000 worth of debt and now he or she doesn't have a job prospect. So it is a crisis and it's only going to get worse until again, that pendulum shifts back and that stigma goes away. 
Yeah, we really don't have career days anymore. I remember career days where they talked about all kinds of different things. And, um, you know, to your point, I lived in Colorado Springs during the pandemic and Colorado Springs was absolutely booming. Now, some of the businesses were shut down, but they issued over 400 building permits wow. for construction during, I think it was 2021, over 400. Every patch of grass in that city either was bought and paid for and had a plan <laughs> for it or was right. under construction. I'm not even kidding you. Yeah. Like, I lived on the east side of town, and behind me is just nothing but open fields, basically from me to Kansas. You know, I was that much open, but just to the northeast of me, it was just total construction. Absolutely total construction. Every single, it's like a whole new, you know, a whole new part of Colorado Springs was being built yeah. up there. And it's just, it was amazing to see that they're building houses during this. I mean, so people were still working. Yeah. Granted, you know, the pizza place had to shut down and stuff like that, but like there was construction, you know, there's, there's plumbers, there's laborers, there's electricians, there's all that. So, sure. you know, and my, my son went to a year of college and then said, you know what, it's not for me. I'm going to join the air force. And as, as kind of upset as I was about that, cause he wanted to go into engineering. Um, I went into the air force same way. I went to a little bit of college. Wasn't for me. Joined the air force. I later got my degrees. Um, but I wasn't mad. I was like, well, if that's what you want to do. And he's like, yeah, I just want to go work on airplanes and get my hands dirty. I said, well, I'm glad I'm glad he, in a way I was like, okay, you, you're not playing Xbox in your dorm room. You know, you want to go out there and turn wrenches and get your hands dirty. I, at least I know I taught him some kind of work ethic because he's not afraid of that. Yeah. Which I thought was awesome. Yeah. You know, I, I've got several friends who are F6, uh, F-16 pilots here in Toledo, Ohio. And um, shout out to the stinging bees, right? Um, but I, I go over there and I, I they let me watch them take off at night. And which mm. is amazing to see. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I always walk through the mechanic shop, through the big repair place, the, the, you know, the hangar where they're working on them. And these guys are cool, man. They got their music on and they got their fatigues and they're just wrenching and they're creating these awesome, you know, weapons and, and, and these awesome flying machines. And, you know, an F-16 is what I've learned is nothing more than just a gas tank with wings on it. <laughs> but, but yeah, these guys have great careers though. I mean, you know, the pilots themselves, you know, they are retiring at 50 and then they're going to work part time for Delta. So they're double dipping like crazy mm -hmm. and they're making great pensions and they're making great, you know, um, secondary incomes and and life is good for them. So um, that that's one of those things. You know, we, when you talk about the path to getting somewhere, the whole purpose for the book was to teach people that the first thing you need to do is visualize what you want your life to look like in absolutely amazing, concise, clear, colorful detail. And then pick one of the many paths that can get you there, college being one of them, a trade being one of them, a military career being one of them. And, and there's a bunch of them. Um, but if you don't know where you're going and why you're, why you're wanting to get there, none of these paths are going to matter. So I, a lot of times I'll say, you know, maybe sometimes because ditch digging for me was number 99 on a list of 100 things I wanted to do. In my life. <laughs> but it certainly got me the ability to do like invest in other projects and, and expand my business. So sometimes I, I look back and I say, you know, maybe it wasn't so important what I did for a living as it was what I did with what I did for a living. And mm, um, I like that. It's a little controversial, but, you know, 
if, if it affords you the ability to move on to these other things that are your passions, like I like to race my cars, I mean, okay, then, then it's, it's all for the better. So let's talk about something from the book that really, um, that kind of goes into kind of what you said just a minute ago, uh, the five gallon bucket. The five-gallon bucket is such an important thing. You said it yourself in the book that you would go through hundreds of these things, and every time you bought fresh five-gallon buckets onto a job site to give to your folks, they lit up like it was Christmas, like you had just given them a bonus. And it's a $5 five-gallon bucket from Lowe's or Home Depot or wherever it may be. Um, But you have a spin on the five-gallon bucket that I'd like you to kind of explain briefly. Well, you know, I deal a lot with – coaching and I, I see a lot of different emotions and, and the, the, the emotional um, it's, it's kind of like the, the, the emotional club that people decide to put themselves into. So I just imagine one day I said, okay, well, let's assume that a five gallon bucket is just like your head. Okay. You're, they're the interchangeable same thing. If you look at the very first gallon, the very first gallon at the bottom of that bucket, it's your basic DNA. It's the things that make you, you, okay? The basic growth functions of your life. And then you get into the second gallon and those are the things that are like involuntary movements like breathing and blood flow and heartbeat and um, immunity and all those kinds of things that, that, that kind of keep you moving along. And then you get into the third gallon and these are the things that you kind of learn, um, learn how to move, how to sit, how to hit a baseball, in my case, a golf ball, how to ride a motorcycle or whatever you want to do, build something. Um, the motor skills, those are things that are acquired. You don't have when you're born. And then the next level is what you learn, because now that you have all the basics for living, the fourth gallon in that bucket would be what you acquire, what you learn, what you take in, what you input. We're basically blank computers and we download everything that comes into our brains. So then the fifth gallon is how you react to all of those things, gallon one through four. And to me, that's where all the emotions are. And the reason I put it up on the top as the fifth gallon is because you can't overflow a bucket or it'll spill all over the floor, right? So you have to be very cognizant, very careful with that fifth gallon, how high you feel that thing and how many emotions you attempt to put into your brain. And so it's kind of like a club where, you know, you want to get into this fancy nightclub and there's a guy at the door, he's got the rope and he's got the checklist and he's like, I can't let you in until two other people come out. Okay. I got to balance my, my whole room number here. Right. So you, you can't, you can't have negative emotions and positive ones at the same time. They kick each other out. Okay. You can't be angry and joyful at the same time. You can't be spiteful and spontaneous at the same time. You can't have hate and love in your head at the exact same time. You can't have um, admiration if you have jealousy at the same time. So, but what people don't understand is that emotions are really controllable. They're choices. They're, they're millisecond choices. Now, if somebody punches you in the head and you had fight or flight, that's a different story. That's a reaction. But the emotions that you attach to the, your reactions in life are split second or even minute long choices that you make. I choose to be sad. And I always say to myself, is this where I want to be right now? Is this, is this the emotion that I want to put into my head? Because if you put too many, they spill over and everybody else will recognize that. So just be careful what emotions you choose to put into your head. They are choices, but 
the good ones are going to be kicked out by the bad ones. And um, I think you want to spend your life um, in as positive a state as you can. And once you realize that you have control over that, it's a lot easier to do. I just love, I love the five gallon bucket thing. I just loved it. When, as soon as I read it, I was like, this is brilliant. This is absolutely <laughs> brilliant, but it makes so much sense. And it's so kind of simplistic, you know, and, and how it's explained. And um, there's another thing you talk about in the book, comfort, uh, peace, and freedom, you know, CPF. And um, I love how you break down your thoughts on each one of those and, and what it means. Cause a lot of, a lot of your book is about freedom It's about control and having that and owning not just business. And I know it's blue collar cash. It sounds very business centric, but it's, it's mm-hmm. life. You have a lot of life and feelings and emotions and kind of culture wrapped up into a lot of these subjects. And it's not just like a, you know, d- nobody go out and buy this book. If you think Ken's got all the answers to being an entrepreneur, um, you, you know, yeah, that's not what this is. This book though, this will change your life if you let it. Because this is more than business. This is, you know, emotion, like you just said in a five-gallon bucket thing and and comfort, peace, and freedom. And how are you controlling it? How are you taking control? And I think, um, again, with that quote you said, opportunity lies in places where demand is the highest. You know, um, it's all about opportunity. And what I want to ask you is, you know, we talk about opportunity and you talk about opportunity. When did the opportunity to write a book come about? Well, that, uh, wow, another great question. <laughs> so, so I, I be, you know, I hired a, a lot of, to back up a little bit, I've probably hired 2,500 people in my career. Okay. Over the last 30, 30, almost 40 years. So I, I hire a lot of people that it's either their first, second or third job. Okay. Um, because they're, they're, they tend to be younger and they're, you know, they're, they're construction type um, people and, and, and I love them. And, one of the things I had to do is I had to kind of like become an involuntary life coach. Okay. I have no training. I have no letters after my name, <laughs> nothing. Um, but I was a fixer. Okay. You needed a checking account. I could fix that for you. You needed a, your first credit card. I could help you with that. You wanted to get in an apartment. I could help you with that. You need to fix your driver's license. I can fix that. Okay. You want to help with your first car. I can help you plan for that. So I just kept coaching people. And, and, and I found out that, the more somebody could see their future for what it is for them specifically, the longer, more long-term um, um, uh, loyal employee that I would have. And it was, it's amazing because I have dozens of people that have been with me 10, 20, 15, or 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35 years. And those are the folks that all have the ability through the training that we did together of seeing what their future could be, could look like in, in perfect detail. So, you know, I, I was doing some, some coaching and, and I was actually writing a letter to my daughter because she, um, she came down with a really serious illness about 12 years ago. And there was a pretty scary four or five years for, uh, for her mother and I. And, um, so I started writing a letter to her about what I thought was important in life. You know, what, what is, what is your nirvana? What does it look like? And, and, and why should you chase that? Um, and the words comfort, peace, and freedom just kept showing up in like this triangle form in my head, like they were interdependent upon each other. So I, I believe that comfort, peace, and freedom beyond what their normal meanings are. If you dig a little deeper, you know, freedom could mean the freedom of, you know, being in a democratic society and having a place like living in the United States, 
or freedom can mean freedom of stress, freedom of thought, freedom of spontaneity, um, freedom of, 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 of seeing um, what your future is like and being really calm because of that, which is where the peace comes from. So yeah, I just, these words just kept coming back and forth. So I decided to put them into the book and explain them, not in the dictionary sense, but in the way I, I kind of thought they meant. That's kind of how my book uh, came about. I was just, I wrote a book, it was 55,000 words. And I went back through and I read it and I said, this is total crap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I said, nobody wants to hear me bragging about and blabbing about my military experience. It's just a bunch of stories, you know? Um, yeah. But I kept coming up with certain things, leadership, truth, you know, all these handful of words that kept resonating. And then one day I came up with the idea of the algorithm, you know, input into a set of, you know, processes. And then you get an output. I said, well, that's exactly what leadership is like. Sure. You know, you say things, you, you manage things, and then you get a result of those things. But that result isn't we always think results are going to be good. And then when they're bad, we're like, oh, I can't believe it was bad. No, right. no, that's, that's part of it. <laughs> Failure is part of it. Bad results are part of it. You still have to be a leader, a manager, and be honest with yourself with the same product and say, okay, now how do we make it better? Or how do we fix it? Or how do we move on? You know, And uh, when the algorithm kind of hit me, effort plus process equals progress, I was like, oh, this is it. This is it. And that's when... Uh, you know, I really went forward and I had three sections of the book and then I could talk about being honest and leaders and it, and it just all kind of marinated came through, but it took me, that was at the tail end of the book. Like I have three months to turn it into the publisher. They're knocking yeah. on my door. Like, Hey man, we, we, we liked your submission, but we, we need a final product. And I was like, well, I might be rewriting it because of this. And they were like, we yeah. love it. Hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, it was a little different because. I actually wrote the entire book and submitted it that way. And um, so, you know, sometimes I hear that authors, especially famous ones, they'll write a couple of paragraphs and here, here's an idea I have for a book. And then they, okay, let's do that. Um, for me, I didn't think I, I had any clout whatsoever. I was a complete nobody. And um, I thought there's no way I could do that. So I wrote the entire book. And um, in fact, I remember being on an airplane and I was, writing on a legal pad and I was flipping my hand because I was getting sore. And the guy sitting next to me says, what are you doing? And I said, well, I think I'm writing a book. And he goes, I know, but you're writing it. I mean, you know, we have these things now that you can do this with it. Yeah, I know. But for every three words I write, I have to erase two of them because I'm, you know, I hit the wrong key. But yeah, I, I literally filled out probably 12 or 13 legal pads full of ink. And then my daughter, bless her heart, um, she typed it all up for me. <laughs> and then we, when she typed it, she would read it and I would read it and I would add things to it. And pretty soon I had the words. So um, I was very fortunate because they kept, the publisher kept probably 90% of what I did. And, and, and the only difference was they added to it, like some research things that I had to research to make the, to make some credible um, parts of the story. So, yeah, it, it, you know, my, my wife actually said, you know, you've been doing this coaching for years and it seems to work. You need to tell the story beyond the four walls of your company. And um, so I just started jotting it down and there it was. So what was it like, you know, going from, you know, entrepreneur running these companies, blue collar and getting my hands dirty and saying, okay, now I got to sit down and focus. I got to write this book. And then I got to pitch it to publishers and agents. Like, was it, was that awkward for you? Is it kind of a different shift or was it like, Hey, this is kind of a maturation of the process of what I'm doing. Well, 
I love the last thing you said about the maturation of the process, because I always felt that I needed to give back some of what I thought I had, you know, my, you know, the, the secret sauce. Okay. Um, how to take, you know, ditch digging is a miserable job, how to take that and turn it into a really cool culture and a cool place to work. So I thought, well, if I can do that with, with, you know, people knee deep in tar and jackhammers and concrete and, you know, cement mixing and all that, then I could do this elsewhere. So that, that was, that was part of it. But honestly, when I, when I took the, the book and gave it to my very first editor, I found just Googling in, in, on editors in New York city, um, he hooked me up. He had like a list of ghostwriters that was 40 deep and I narrowed it down to three. I had a conversation with all three. I narrowed it down to one. And then I gave her the book and she immediately called me back because she was a published author herself. And she has a lot of letters after her name. <laughs> so <laughs> she, um, she called me back and she said, this is unbelievable. And she immediately ran it up to the editor um, who then said, I love this. It's so timely. And then they helped me find an agent and then the agent helped me find the publisher. And then from the publisher, I got the PR people and the digital PR people and all this insanity. <laughs> um, at one point, there's 15 people working on this book other than me. And I was like, I, I, I didn't think this would go Jeff, 10 feet, much less 10 miles. And, um, you know, it became a bestseller in the Wall Street Journal last last year, late last year. And I'm just eternally grateful and blessed and, and, and just happy, uh, happy that I could pull it off. But you do something unique with the book um, when it comes to sales because you you didn't do this to get rich or to, to pad the bank account stats and, and the retirement account anymore. You do something unique um, with every sale. What is that? Well, what I did was, you know, I've, I've read books. I mean, you probably see some books back there on the shelf. But one of the things that I always thought about with books, if you're going to take the time to read them, you know, whether you're sitting still in a chair somewhere, wherever you're at, you might as well use the information that's in them. I mean, unless it's just purely entertainment reading. OK, um, so I thought of all these people that had all these books on their shelf and they were more like trophies than they were, you know, anything else. So I thought I'm going to build a course that forces you to take the book and change your life with it. You know, if you desire, I mean, if you so desire. So I built this course uh, around the book. And so now I've packaged those two together. So you buy the course, you get a free book. And um, again, my life before this book was really good already. And, and again, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. So I decided, well, for every book and course that I sell, I'm going to donate a book and or a course to someone of your choice of the buyer. Let's say the buyer has a mentee, a son, a daughter, nephew, niece, grandson, whatever, neighbor, friend, family member that could use that information, I'm going to donate one to them. Or if they don't have anybody, they just like the idea of the donation, I'll donate it to someone in my community here that could use that information. So just know that if you're helping yourself, you're automatically helping somebody else at the same time. And, you know, I'm just glad that we could make that work. So where can they find out more about you and the book and the course? So if you go to Ken Rusk official on Facebook, you'll see all of the buy buttons there. 
Um, you can also, I'm, I'm sorry, you go to KenRoss.com. You'll see all the buy buttons where you can buy Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, independent bookstores, all those. If, if you go to um, at KenRusk official, that's all my social media handles. Um, I do some great videos on TikTok, which are just little snippets. Um, I do some on Instagram as well. And um, they're just kind of daily reminders. So uh, yeah, you can find me in, in all those places. And, um, and again, I, I hope, I hope you go there. I hope you check it out and I hope you like what you see. Absolutely should go there and check out the book, uh, blue collar cash. Um, it's an awesome, awesome read. I mean, I was captivated. Uh, I was a little worried. Sometimes I get these last minute, uh, podcast scheduling and it's an author and I'm like, Oh, I got, I got to go grab the book. I got to read it. I got to try to get through this. Cause I got to get to know them. Sure. Um, and I was really, really worried. Like with a week, I wasn't going to be able to get through two, three hundred pages, especially with my busy life. My wife's opening a business this week. Oh, good for like, her! Yeah, it was all, it's awesome. But I was like, I am so busy. But I was blown away. I was just burning through the pages every time I had a chance to sit down. Um, it, which is, I like reading because I I get to put my phone down. And, and I get to get my eyes off of my phone because sometimes I just mindlessly scroll on there and I'm gaining nothing from it. So gaining having a good book, yeah. good book to burn through was just awesome. And I loved it. So you should absolutely go to kinrusk.com, check it out, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all the big you know, book you know, retailers. Go buy it local at your local bookstore. Go ask them yeah. to order you a copy um, mm -hmm. and definitely check it out because it's an awesome awesome read and and i thank you sir for taking time out of your busy day to come on and chat about it and i just really appreciate your time well not only thank you for that again i, I love the ability to, to to talk with people and and to share this message but you know for everybody else out there you know you got to thank him for his service because you know some of the freedoms we all enjoy were because of folks like like you and and i just oh, want to say that I, I wholeheartedly appreciate what you do